Welcome to Walk in Truth. These are the Bible teachings of Pastor Michael Lance, equipping you to reach out with God's truth to all people and how to apply that truth to today's issues, trends, and culture. You can learn more about the program and our church when you visit walkintruth.com or you can download our free Living Truth app. Now here's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 41 through 42 called Present Your Case. So Isaiah 41, look at verse 21 with me. 41, 21. We continue to see a courtroom scene and the Lord is calling people in for dialogue. That's the setting, that's the image that Isaiah is privy to. And the next litigant, if you will, that's called into the courtroom is the idol. And you might even say the idolater. Here it is, 41:21. Present your case, the Lord says. Bring forward your strong arguments. If you have a New King James, it says your strong reasons. The king of Jacob says. Now I want you to notice, first of all, that it's the king of Jacob. Jacob was the one in line who then became Israel. You had Abraham, then you had Isaac, and then you had Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. They became the 12 tribes of Israel. And Jacob wrestled with the Lord in the book of Genesis. And he uh, triumphed in one sense, but lost in another sense, because he didn't want to let go till the Lord bless him, blessed him. But then he walked away, remember, with a limp. And he never walked the same again. And I can certainly relate to what uh, that feels like right now. Though I can't say I was wrestling with God. I was more wrestling with my age and mileage on my body. But anyway, that's a different story. So the king of Jacob calls in those who are practicing idolatry or calls in the idols. And the first thing that struck me is that he describes himself as the king of Jacob or the king of Israel. Jacob's name meant conniver. We could all relate to his conniving ways and how he tried to steal the birthright and the blessing from his brother. But then after he wrestled with God, he was renamed Israel, which most Uh, commentators believe means governed by God. And so that was really God's intention, to have the nation governed by a single king. They would be unique because they would have a king who was not human, he was actually God. So God calls himself, notice in verse 21, the king of Jacob or the king of Israel. And there's a striking scene that happens in 1 Samuel chapter 8, you don't have to turn there, but you can turn there if you'd like. When the people of Israel are wanting a king to be appointed to them so they can be like the other nations. Here's what it says. First Samuel 8, verse 5. They said to him, to Samuel the prophet, you've grown old, your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint a king for us to judge us like all the nations, the Gentile nations. But the thing was displeasing in the sight of Samuel. This is First Samuel 8, verse 6. Uh, that they said, give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Like all the deeds which they have done since the day I brought them up from Egypt, even to this day, in that they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also." So the one who would be the king of Jacob, the one that would make the nation really unique, was rejected by his own people. And interestingly enough, when 
speaks of that rejection, what he says about it is that they wanted to be like everybody else. They wanted to be governed by a man rather than governed by God. And that was the wrestling match, if you will. That was the, the name change that took place. And that's really what God does with us. We wrestle with him. We, we may have him speaking to us in many different situations and many different settings. And then finally, we have a match where maybe we walk out and we never walk the same again. But now we're governed by God. But we continue to have this wrestling match of what's going to be first in our lives. Will we truly sanctify Christ as Lord and King of our lives? That may be trickier than we really realize. And what God is doing is he's inviting the nations now because implicit in this is, you you could ask a question reading this as a Gentile. You could say, if I'm not Jewish and he's the king of Jacob, well, does that mean that he cares about the nations? Microphone keeps going in and out. I apologize. Because basically what happens here is if he's the king of Jacob, does he care about my well-being? Does he care that I'm a, a person in a nation outside that may have multiple gods and may have things going on that are really pagan? And the fact is that God does care. And even in the Babylonian captivity, which is the setting for this particular section, God allowed Daniel and others to be an influence in Babylon, and it was swept up in idols. As a matter of fact, they, one British museum said that they have discovered at least 3,000 Mesopotamian gods, that's in the area of Babylon, that were worshipped. That's similar to the number of Greek and Roman gods that were in the Agora in Acts 17, when the apostle Paul was annoyed, provoked, uh, for the jealousy of God, that the, the, here's the, the language, you can write it down and look at it later, Acts 17, 16, that literally they were swimming underneath the idols. They were in a forest of idolatry. And then Paul preaches the famous sermon in Acts 17 up on Mars Hill when he says, I see you're very religious, you have all these altars. And then he uses the one to the unknown God to preach the truth of the one true God and his control of the universe, and that he's the creator, savior, he sent the resurrected Christ, and that he is now calling all men everywhere to repent. He has fixed a day when he will judge the world in righteousness, and he's given evidence of this by raising Jesus Christ from the dead, Acts 17, 30, and 31. This has been a really age-old problem for man back to the Tower of Babel, when God, uh, you know, place man, and then uh, they came out of the ark, and they started to move, and they set up shop, and they, they constructed the ziggurat, you know, the Tower of Babel, and there God brought the confusion of the languages. It's always been man's attempt to reach up to God, to somehow produce his own type of religion. And God is saying, that's not what I want. I want you to worship me in sincerity and truth. I want you to worship me in spirit and in truth. I don't want you to have idols before me. I don't want you to have any other gods before me. Idolatry is an age-old problem, and we might be asking the question tonight, but is it just a problem that belonged really to the primitive world? You know, we don't see maybe a whole lot of people today, especially in the West, you know, we don't walk into places pretty much where there's idols sitting there and people are bowing down. Maybe occasionally you run into that, but the the average Western home is not going to have some sort of idol like that. So is this just a problem that's really, you know, ancient, no application for us at all? Well, I would submit to you that this is a very, very, very contemporary issue. Idolatry is a matter of the heart. I want you to turn to the book of Ezekiel. So go right, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel. I want you to go to chapter 14. 
And I'll tell you what, I was reading this chapter today, and it struck me of how powerful it is on many levels, but I just want to show you something about an idol. The Bible speaks about an idol, but it speaks about how an idol can affect you. Go to Ezekiel 14, look at verse 2 with me. Ezekiel 14, 2. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Son of man, these men have set up their idols, notice where? In their hearts. And have put right before their faces the stumbling block of their iniquity. Should I be consulted by them at all? Therefore, speak to them and tell them, thus says the Lord, verse 4, God, any man of the house of Israel who sets up his idols, plural, in his heart, I want you to see that there's a plurality of idols right in the heart of man, puts right before his face the stumbling block of his iniquity, and then comes to the prophet, I, the Lord, will be brought to give him an answer in the matter and view of the multitude of his idols in order to lay hold of the hearts of the house of Israel who are estranged from me through all their idols. The Bible says to us that an idol can go right into your heart. And it's not just one thing, it is multiple things. So let me give you a definition of an idol. An idol is a matter of the heart. An idol is a heart-level substitute for God. And if you're a note-taker, I would encourage you to write that down. An idol is a matter of the heart, and an idol is a heart-level substitute for God. John Calvin said, the human heart is a perpetual idol factory, close quote. Idolatry, then, is a very contemporary issue, not only for the world, but for the church. And the question is, go back to Isaiah, how does it work for the church? Well, here's the issue. For us, it's not a matter of us making something to bow down to. It's not some sort of golden thing that we bow down to. But for many of us, what we tend to do is we go to things for happiness, we go to things for satisfaction, we go to things for comfort, whatever the reason may be. Life's not going our way. Maybe we prayed about something and we don't feel like God answered us the way that we would expect that he should or could. So all of a sudden we find a substitute for God and it becomes a matter of the heart for us. It becomes something that creeps into the center of our being and really it can become a stumbling block for our lives. When you think about it, you don't commit idolatry in a vacuum. Whenever you bring an idol into your heart, you're crowding God out of the first place. That's number one. But then number two, what happens is that it's going to affect other things because the picture in Ezekiel is it becomes a stumbling block. That iniquity becomes a stumbling block to your life. And oftentimes when you stumble, you stumble others, including yourself. When God gave the Ten Commandments to the children of Israel in Exodus 20, uh, the first commandment, do you remember what it was? I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. God does acknowledge that there are other gods. The first two commandments or realities are about other gods. This is what God says. It is possible to have other gods before him, but he doesn't want you to do that. And I was reading one commentary where a writer said, if you get the first commandment right, If you don't have any other gods before the God of the Bible, then it's easier to do the other nine. 
then it's easier to not have an idol. It's easier not to take the name of the Lord in vain. It's easier not to do things that would be wrong to your neighbor. When he has first place, when the first commandment is in place, all the other commandments tend to follow. You'll hear more from Pastor Michael in a moment. Walk in Truth has more content for you to listen to with our mini-sodes A Step Closer, where Pastor Michael Lance and others on the Walk in Truth team discuss topics and questions about life from a Christian perspective. You'll also get a chance to get to know the team. We have just celebrated Easter, so the first series is on the resurrection. So if something is that, that's written down reflects poorly on what is being described or what is being reported on, if that reflects poorly... That lends to its credibility. Yes. Because normally we say, well, the writers are biased. Regardless, we're not just talking about the New Testament. Any writer's biased, they want to get their point of view across. But what shows their objectivity or attempt to be objective is when they include information or facts that reflect poorly on themselves or the narrative they're trying to push. Yes. And, and so let's take a step further towards that. So when the women go to the apostles who are supposed to be the brave followers of Christ, right. they say... The, the women have lost their minds, to paraphrase. They do. They're just crazy tales. They, they don't believe it, which is another embarrassment yeah. because, of course, the, the documents go on to say that Christ is risen and it becomes crystal clear. But the, the way that it, this is written down, and we believe it corresponds exactly to what happened, is that they don't believe they have no faith. To listen to the Walk in Truth mini-sodes a step closer, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app like Spotify, iHeartRadio, Apple Podcast, and more. Again, follow Walk in Truth on your favorite podcast app. Thanks for tuning in to Walk in Truth today. Did you know there's more where that came from? Download the Living Truth app to listen to more of Pastor Michael's teachings whenever you want. You can even watch videos. And if you're local to Southern California, you can get updates on church events, new studies, and more. Download the free Living Truth app today. We'd love to see who's listening. So please connect with us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Just do a search for Walkin' Truth Show. Now, back to Pastor Michael Lance, right here on Walkin' Truth. No other gods before me. God does acknowledge that there are other gods. The first two commandments or realities are about other gods. This is what God says. It is possible to have other gods before him, but he doesn't want you to do that. And I was reading one commentary where a writer said, if you get the first commandment right, if you don't have any other gods before the God of the Bible, then it's easier to do the other nine. Then it's easier to not have an idol. It's easier not to take the name of the Lord in vain. It's easier not to do things that would be wrong to your neighbor. When he has first place, when the first commandment is in place, all the other commandments tend to follow. Jesus said, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength to love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang what? the entire law and the prophet. So you could say that the commandments, the, or if you will, the whole Old Testament is summed up in keeping the, the first commandment. To love the Lord your God with everything that you have, with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, which speaks of your intellectual capacities. You don't check your brain at the door. You give God your best with your mind as well. I was talking to two Mormon missionaries out in front of the fountain at the Civic Center. 
and uh, I began to show them some passages in Isaiah, and I was talking about how the Bible's clear that there's only one God. And so I drove this home with a young man who was intellectual, but he told me honestly that he struggled with Mormon theology at this point. He said, because the idea that there's many gods and then that we could become the god of our own planet did trouble him. And he even told me that he called his father and the family went back to Brigham Young or they live in Utah right now, but generations go back. He said, it troubled me and I called my dad. And he said this, see if you've ever heard this before or maybe you've done this. He said, I've accepted the fact that Mormon theology is true when it comes to many gods spiritually, even though intellectually I struggle with it. And I said, well, but wait a minute. One of the the greatest commandments is to love the Lord your God with all your mind. So are you telling me that when you go into the Mormon house of worship, you check your brain at the door? So, because you can't make sense of it. Now, I'm not saying that everything is totally understandable in, the, in terms of God. We know God is transcendent, and his, some of his ways are past finding out. Even his nature is a, is a mystery in one sense. But there are things that we don't just say intellectually, okay, I'm going to chuck it because uh, on another level I can believe. That doesn't make sense, and that's not what God is calling us to do. He's calling us to love him with everything that we are. And so this is a plague to people, this issue of idolatry. And God is calling in the idolaters to see, to have them listen in to what they have embraced. A couple other scriptures. I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians. Go there. Paul's going to talk about idols in 1 Corinthians 10. And the context is really interesting because you might be still wrestling with the fact Is this really a New Testament issue? Is this a church issue? Well, notice what this says. Uh, Paul has been using Israel as a warning not to fall into the sins that they committed. And he says this in 1 Corinthians 10, 12. He says, Therefore, let him who thinks he stands take heed lest he fall. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with the temptation will provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, what's your Bible say? Flee from idolatry. That's written to the Corinthian church, folks. Go to 1 John chapter 5, just a little before Revelation. 1 John 5. John's, much of his emphasis is to defeat false Gnostic teaching. And here's what he does. First, first John 5, uh, look at verse 19. First John 5, 19, the very end of the letter. We know that we are of God and that the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. First John 5, 20. We know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding in order that we might know him who is true. Verse 20, middle of the verse. And we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. This is a great deity passage for uh, Jesus Christ being God, by the way. This is the true God, the only true God. Jesus Christ is God. This is eternal life. And then read the next verse with me. Little children do what? Guard yourselves or keep yourselves from idols. There it is again. Now, when was 1 John written? Well, pretty much scholars agree at the end of the first century. So this is a later New Testament book, 
And it was obviously an issue still for the church. Because idolatry, go back to Isaiah, has a bunch of different faces. Whether it's wrapped in Gnosticism, which has to do with knowledge and all of that, whether it's wrapped in uh, New Age belief, whether it's wrapped in seeking out um, uh, people who say that they know the future and things of that nature. Uh, We've even had first ladies who would seek uh, astrologers and stuff like that before they made major decisions in their lives. And we even have, I don't know, are the hotlines still around where you can call for $75 a minute and find out if you're going to meet somebody tall, dark, and handsome? You know, oh, I am? Oh, great. And then there was the fad of the person who talked to the dead and could predict the future. And Everybody seems to be so hungry. And God is calling in the idols. And he's saying, look, if you're really a God, then let's, uh, let's see what you can do. Here's verse 22 of Isaiah 41. 41, 22. He says, God says, let them, the idols, bring forth and declare to us. Or it says in the NIV, bring your idols in to tell us. What's going to take place as the former events declare what they were? Tell us how past history kind of fits with where the world is going, middle of 22. That we may consider them and know their outcome or their glorious future and announce to us what is coming. So God now calls in the idols, but here's the interesting thing. If you have an NIV, it says, bring in your idols to tell us. One commentator says the best way to understand this is that this is a command to the idolaters to carry in their gods in kind of a false god fashion show. Bring in your gods, set them up so they don't totter, and then we'll bring them to the witness stand one by one and we'll see what your gods have to say. So there's a problem in the beginning, is there not? You have to carry your god into the courtroom. I mean... Uh, do you see a little problem with this? You know, hold on, let me, you know, fix his hair or whatever you got to do. Bring your idols in. It's a funny picture. And here's people, one after the other, carrying their idols in to give testimony. You know, okay, I hope he'll say something now. I hope he'll speak. If not, maybe I'll lend a little ventriloquism to him, right? And this is the weird scene. Idol after idol comes into the courtroom and God says, okay, anybody predict the future here? Do any of these gods know you know, what's going on in the past? Can they tell us anything? Can they speak about anything? And some people may be thinking, well, this is a bit of an unfair fight. I mean, God challenging the idols. Is this something that the idols claimed? Did they really say that they could do this kind of thing, predict the future? Well, if you read in Isaiah, you know that one of the hallmarks of Babylonian religion was astrology. And they were very much into thinking that their gods could predict the future. This is one of the things they said of their idols. One of the things that their practitioners would do, their priests, is they would cut open a sheep, literally cut it open, look at its intestines the way that they were coiled, and determine the future from that particular look on the inside of a sheep. This is the practice, think with me now, called divination. Divination to divine something in the occult, which still happens today, whether it be through tarot cards, whether it be through uh, astrology, whether it be a crystal ball, whether it be scrying where someone looks at an object and tries to determine things occluded, which could be about the past, present, or future. This is happening today. This happened in the whole move that kind of led us toward Halloween, 
That's what was behind it, the Druids. And they would even do this with dead bodies. They would kill people, and they would determine the future from the way the body fell. That's how weird and satanic this stuff was. They claimed that they could divine reality. They could go behind the veil with their gods. And so God is saying, well, if that's the case, if that's really true, then just give me one. Go ahead. I give you the microphone. Give me one prediction. Go ahead and speak. Tell me something that is going to happen 100 years from now. You know your Bible does that all the time. We just read about it last Wednesday when we looked at Cyrus from Isaiah 45 where God named Cyrus the king of Persia before he's ever born. And that's just a minor prophecy compared, think of it, Isaiah's written around 700 BC. Now about somewhere 100 years plus later, uh, 150 years, Cyrus the Great is born and he conquers a bunch of lands including Babylon and Media. But 700 years from the time of Isaiah, prophecy after prophecy comes forward about who? The Messiah. You've been listening to Present Your Case, Part 1 on Walk in Truth. That's Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah 41 and 42. And if you missed any part of today's program, you can always listen to Walk in Truth on Apple Podcast, iHeartRadio, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Subscribe for free to hear Pastor Michael's teachings and more books of the Bible. And just a reminder that this is a listener-supported ministry. Would you consider becoming a partner for $5 a month? We're blessed to know that these teachings reach thousands of listeners just like you every weekday through our radio partners and through the podcast. If you've been listening for some time now and you're blessed by this ministry, if you've learned something from Pastor Michael's teachings, or if you've been encouraged, please help others like you. Visit walkintruth.com to donate. That's walkintruth.com. And join us tomorrow for part two of Pastor Michael's teaching in Isaiah chapters 41 and 42 called Present Your Case. I'm Mike Massaro, and thanks for listening to Walk in Truth, where it's our goal to equip you to reach out with God's truth to all people.